0: So question to start, have you ever been through something you were not prepared for, but you thought you were? Have you ever been through something you thought you were prepared for, but when you got into it, you realized that you weren't as prepared as you assumed you would be. My uncle, um, Bob, was a swimming coach, and he was a really, really good swimming coach to the point that he had an Olympic gold medalist swimmer that he coached. Really good swimming coach. At their home in Arizona, they had a 50-meter pool, Um, And they would host swim meets from kids and teenagers all over the state that would come and swim there. And one summer, Uncle Bob said, hey, Gary, you need to to swim in this meet on Saturday. I said, all right. I mean, I have the body for it, right? I'm I'm built like Michael Phelps. I mean, I know y'all probably confuse us. But... He said you're gonna swim and i think he gave me the the freestyle the 50 meter freestyle and the the breaststroke um because that was the two i was the best at i mean i i could dominate in the water on those two and so um anyway we get up there and we you know take your mark and get set and go and i I knew like i was going to give all i had and this was going to be awesome so i'd jump in and my goggles of course like come down over my face and i'm swimming run into the lane lines and everything. I swim as hard as I can and I get to the end. I'm completely out of breath, but I knew I dominated that race. I knew I had to have been like getting a medal. Right. And so in the end, I did get a ribbon, but funny thing is they actually give seventh and eighth place ribbons. (laughs) And there were seven people in one race. I got seventh. And there were eight people in the other race. I got eighth. And I found out in that moment that I wasn't quite as prepared as I thought I was. I remember starting graduate school and thinking, I got this. And then my first week of Hebrew, I went home and I told Cammie, I, like, I don't know if I got this. Bring home our kids from the hospital. One kid, we're prepared, we got this. Maybe not. Two kids, three kids, four kids. Every time it changed. And I, I keep having these moments throughout my life where I, I am pretty sure I'm ready for what comes next. Until so what comes next actually arrives. And then I'm not so sure if I'm ready or not. See, last week we began with this question, what do you do when life gives you something you did not choose and cannot control? The disciples are marching into Jerusalem confident that Jesus, the Messiah, will be king. And they're asking Jesus things like, when you come into your glory, can we sit at your right and left? And they're telling him we can be baptized with the baptism you've been baptized with, and we can drink the cup, even to the point where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? You are Christ. You are the Messiah. They were confident until they got to Jerusalem. They were pretty sure, I think, as they were coming into the city, yelling, Hosanna, that they would have what it took to stand with Jesus. And yet, when the moment arrives, not one of them is left standing by Jesus' side. So in the, this series, we've talked about a lot about what we call a Markan sandwich, this literary structure that really kind of helps us understand what's happening. And in this sandwich, this is another one that Mark uses here in chapter 14, um, he begins with Peter's denial as the intro, and then Peter's denial is the conclusion, and then sandwiched in between is Jesus' trial with the high priest Caiaphas. So we're going to pick up, and and we're going to do this one a little bit different because all of these sandwiches, we started with the middle of them, we're going to start with the outside of them this time. So they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Notice who all is there. The elders, the teachers, the chief priests, Priests, they are all there plotting against Jesus. Going on. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. Peter is how he begins this story. Peter, who said he would not deny Jesus, even after Jesus told him that he would. Following Jesus from a distance, watching on to see what will happen. And then we go to the trial of Jesus before the high priest. And then we come to the other side. And Peter is confronted by people who say, you know Jesus. And Peter says, no, I've never I have no idea who this man is. I have have no idea what you're talking about. And and we're going to pick up here in verse 70. And at this point, he has denied him twice. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Going on, he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And then Peter remembered the words of Jesus. The word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. He broke down. And as many times as I've heard this story, I have this image of Peter sitting there around this fire with these other guards at the moment where he hears the rooster crow. Because Peter, right here, he's trying to save himself, right? I mean, this is where, that, that moment where you just start doing anything you can to get out of the situation. Um, for me, one of those those times, and I, my mom's probably listening, so just cover your ears. <laughs> But, but one of those times I remember just lying through my teeth was when I was in 10th grade. And I've told you all this before. I've, this is how she found out that I lied. Um, it was a sermon. <laughs> 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 but, but there was this girl in class that we were all the guys. were sitting around. We were trying to impress. And she has this rubber cork in chemistry. And she says, hey, someone should throw this at Mr. Spears. And so I grabbed it and trying to impress a girl like a 10th grader does, I toss it up there. Well, it bounces on his desk and hits him in the face. And you got to understand, I never did anything wrong. I never. Both of my parents knew every teacher in Garland Independent School District. Because both of them were educators. And so I, I threw this up there. It bounces and hits him in the face. He gets so mad and everyone's just like, And after class, this girl sitting in the back, after everyone left, goes up to Mr. Spear and says, hey, I know who threw that. And I was caught. It's that moment where it's like, you know, that feeling in the pit of your stomach where you know, like when you get home, you're dead like literally your parents are going to kill you. And so the next class he confronts me about it. And I went to the nurse sick. Went home. And so my mom asked me, "Do, you do this?" No, but I know who did. Even to this day like ah uh, I can't believe I did that. But I knew in that moment I was in so much trouble. I was literally afraid for my life because I knew what my dad would do. I lied. I've, even to this day, I still wonder, that's kind of the feeling of Peter. Know him. I I have no idea who this guy is. I have no clue who you're talking about. Just moments before in this story, was so convinced you are Messiah. And they're hailing him as king, as they come into the city, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it brings us this question we launched with last week. What do you do when life gives you something you did not choose, cannot control? What do you do in the moment when you're in a situation you have lost all control, you didn't choose to be there, and now you have to figure out what the next step is, and Peter, in that moment, I don't know him. I don't know this man. And when he hears the rooster crow, immediately breaks down, weeps, and Peter, it seems, refuses to step into his identity as a disciple of Jesus and refuses to follow him even to death because when everything goes down those who were closest to Jesus had never been so distant those who followed him everywhere, found themselves scattering as far away as they could. And I wonder if in those moments, as Peter hears the rooster crow, if there were flashbacks to Jesus' teaching, when he said things like, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And if you want to to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to give it up. Because if you want to save your life, you're going to have to lay it down. What do you do when life gives you something you did not choose and cannot control? So that's this outside of the sandwich. There's Peter's denied. But in the middle of it is Jesus' trial. As both of them, Jesus and Peter, have to give answers that will affect their life. That will affect their well-being and their safety. So we're going to pick up in verse 55. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with human hands. Yet, even then, their testimony did not agree. Then, the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Jesus remained silent. He gave no Jesus is confronted with the question that he knows, just as Peter was, that the way you answer this may cost you your life. How you answer this question may cost you your life. And Jesus, God in the flesh, in that moment, remains silent. He has the opportunity. If there is a way to escape, right now is his chance. But instead of speaking in his defense, He does not open his mouth. Which Isaiah the prophet said he would. He would go to the cross as a sheep before its shears is silent. He would not open his mouth. Jesus here is silent, refusing to give an answer. His disciples here are silent. Not because they refuse to answer but because they've all deserted Him. And maybe in my mind the one that seems the most troubling is it seems in this moment that God Himself is silent. God does not How do you respond when it seems like God doesn't? How, How do you respond when there is silence? How do you respond when you need to hear a word from God? And you hear nothing but silence. For me, it's one of those things that I think I fear. When I ask God to step in and to save someone, when I ask God to to fix my situation or or change the, the course, the trajectory of my life. And it seems like he doesn't answer. Seems almost like he's not there. For me, I try to go backwards rather than forward. Because in my past, I've had experiences. Maybe at a camp, or a conference, or with a group of people. And in those moments, I felt so close and connected with God. But yet now, it seems like God is distant, like God is silent, and my desire is typically to go back and try to recreate what was. For, for years... Our church went to camp at Iron Springs. Um, it's beautiful desert outside of Waco, Texas. Um, but it was an amazing week of camp. And as kids, we always went as campers. But then when you got into high school, you got to go as a junior counselor. You got to be with this group of people, and you were one of the leaders, and you were in charge. And it was really a great time actually with the kids, but the best part was at night when the kids went to bed because their adult counselors who were tired because it was camp would go to sleep as well with the kids. But then the youth group would get together and we would have our own time of devotionals, sneaking out after the devotionals, doing things we probably shouldn't do, and having a really good time together as a group. But I remember coming back from camps like Iron Springs where I had this closeness with God like never before. I felt this passion and this love for Jesus. Or I would go to a conference later on as I began in ministry. At a point where I was kind of down spiritually and I would walk away refreshed. Or I would go to a group and I would get together with this group of people that that renewed me. And I think all of us have been in those spots where it felt like, man, God was so close and God is so near. But then we get into these places where it feels like God is distant, where God is silent, and our hope is, well, let's go back and recreate what used to be, hoping it will renew us to what we used to be. But what if? What if the silence is not a sign of God's absence, but rather the greatest sign of his presence? Not God is not speaking because he is not there, but God is silent, calling us forward in faith and trust. Encourage. To take the next step. And maybe it's in those moments when God seems to be silent. That he's waiting on us to take that next step in faith. And encourage. That we see our faith grow like never before. Because we see God show up in those moments of faith like never before. Maybe it's the only way we grow. Maybe it's those times when we're not sure that we are supposed to go forward. But we feel God nudging us. And everything within us wants us to stay planted where we are. But encourage we take a step forward. Peter, I know the scenario does not look good. I know that this could cost your life, but you gotta trust me. Don't leave now. Don't deny me now. For Jesus, you've got to trust me. You've got to take this step forward in faith, knowing that I will be there. So again, the high priest asked him Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And here's the thing: is is our English translations kind of mess up this phrase? In the Greek, here's what it looks like: e took Greek too, not just Hebrew. Sui, um, ho Christos," and the reason that that's so significant is because that is the exact same phrase. That Peter uses when he looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And the only thing that's different from chapter 8 where Peter says it to chapter 14 when Caiaphas says it is the context lets us know that it's a question. It's almost as if Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Caiaphas mockingly looks at Jesus and says, You are Christ. What do you have to say? What, what are you going to do now in this moment? Jesus, what are you going to do now as God's voice does not speak over you As it did. Because remember how we started in in the Gospels of Mark? Jesus' baptism, right, is kind of this first section. And God speaks to Jesus You are my son, I love you, pleased with you. The Transfiguration speaks over Jesus You are my son, I love you. And here on the road to the cross, Jesus calls out, Abba, Father. Now silence. But the silence in this scenario is God calling Jesus. Because the question we asked last week was, would, would Jesus abandon the way of the Father if the cost became too great? In God's silence, Jesus in faith steps forward. And you think, well, that's, that's kind of crazy, Jesus having faith. But I believe every bit he does. He has faith in God's kingdom and in God's plan and what he's called him and brought him to earth. And so Jesus looks back at Caiaphas and he answers, I am. And you will see the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel 7, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, which is a reference to Psalm 110, coming in the clouds. Both of those, Daniel 7 and Psalm 110, are messianic psalms where Jesus is basically looking at these religious leaders and saying, it is exactly as you said. I am Messiah. In the moment where Peter refuses to accept his identity and follow the way and the will of the Father, Jesus steps into it. And the result, the high priest tore His clothes, Why do we need any more witness? He is asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And here's the thing. In Rome, that meant nothing. In Rome, blasphemy wasn't something that you would die for. In fact, it probably didn't even register. And when they go before Pilate, that's not even what they're going to accuse him of. What do you do when life gives you something you did not choose and cannot control? Jesus, facing the accusations, facing the imminent danger and death, chooses to embrace the moment. And he steps into it, knowing that it will cost him his life. But here's the thing. It's those moments of faith where we aren't really sure that it's God's voice calling us forward that grow our faith and we experience God like never before because we see God show up in those moments. Jesus embraces the moment. He steps into the middle of this destiny, and he says to Caiaphas, you cannot take my life because I am giving my life. You cannot take my life because I am giving my life. It's so much like what... Paul says as he's sitting in a prison cell in the book of Philippians. As he says, I hadn't really chosen yet what I'm going to do. I I could live or I could die. It's fine either way. I hadn't made up my mind yet. I could stay here and help you and that would be great or I can go and be with Jesus. But I'm not real sure what I'm going to choose. Think about someone today on death row saying that to you. I haven't really decided if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go. The only way it becomes a decision is if you have already given your life to something bigger than yourself. The only way you get a choice, Jesus, is if your life is not yours because you've already given it to something else. You cannot take my life because I'm giving my life. And that's what he does. He walks this road to the cross knowing what it will cost. Because the cost of following the way and the will of the Father never becomes too great. For Peter, for the other disciples, cost is great. They walk away. And as Tim shared, isn't it amazing? By the grace of Jesus, calls them all back. Come, follow me. See, this whole series has been based on this simple question: how does Jesus become King? And what you have to understand is to become king, the only way you become king is to overtake the reigning king. Whichever king is on the throne, whether it's Rome or Egypt or Assyria, but the battle that Jesus is fighting is not a regional battle, it is a cosmic battle. And he is fighting the one enemy that has stood the test of time. The one enemy that all other enemies have leveraged for their power and control. Sin and death. They they have used them to gain power and control. And here in this moment, Jesus is going to go to the cross by giving up power and control. Trusting that the will and the way of the Father is still the plan for His life. Regardless of when it seems God is absent, regardless of when it seems God is silent. And through his faith and courage, we get to witness the greatest act of the power of God in the history of the world. Not just raising someone from the dead, but destroying the power of sin, death, and the grave. And Jesus looks at those disciples, and he says, come follow me come follow me, come be my disciple. But if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And if you want to save your life, you're going to have to to lose it. You want to be my disciple? Give your life something bigger. What do you do when life gives you something? did not choose, cannot control, we embrace it, we step into the middle of it, we look right at the enemy, we say, you cannot take my life, I am giving. Here's the amazing part of the story. That is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. He looked right at the enemy. said, you cannot take my life. I'm laying it. There. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for a love and a grace that embraces us even through the difficult road, the impossible road of the cross. And Father, we see these other disciples that scatter. There's the one true Savior of the world who embraces it, steps into it. Because of His faith, Your plan we get to see the greatest miracle in the history of the world. Sin and death. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that it gives. That we know death is no longer the end. Father, today we live with hope. And we live with courage. Father, trying to give ourselves the will and the way of the Father. Regardless. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace when we fail, when we don't live up to the identity you've given us. Grace that calls us back to you. It says, come, follow me. Feed my sheep. Thank you. Pray all of this. Your most beautiful, precious, and holy.